0: By the time he retired from his distinguished career in the Navy in 1972, Rear Admiral Eugene B. Fluckey had seen incredible action in World War II, served as the Director of Naval Intelligence, and served as the Commander of the U.S. Pacific Fleet, in addition to various other positions. Winner of the Medal of Honor and four Navy Crosses for his daring actions as Commander of the submarine USS Barb during World War II, Fluckey was credited with the most tonnage sunk by a U.S. skipper during World War II—17 ships, including a carrier, cruiser, and a frigate. He also owned the unique distinction of launching the only ground attack on Japan when his sub crew, in a daring night raid, wired a train trestle with explosives and blew a 16-car railroad train into a packed harbor. Together. Fluckey and his crew applied new and daring submarine warfare strategies that included pursuing enemy ships on the surface, attacking in the swift and precise style of torpedo boats, using rocket missiles on coastal enemy towns, and creeping up on the tail end of enemy escorts at night and darting in and out up the line of ships, racking up large numbers of kills in the process. The thunderous roar of depth charges was a familiar sound to the captain and crew of the USS Barb. Welcome to 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. Today's episode, titled The Heroes of the USS Barb, The Sub That Sank a Train, is part of our Heroes series and features the incredible story of the U.S. submarine Barb and its intrepid commander and crew whose exploits have become the stuff of legend. They are but one reminder of the thousands of American heroes who risk their lives daily, for the freedoms so many of us take for granted. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and this is our story. The Medal of Honor is the United States of America's highest military honor, awarded for personal acts of valor above and beyond the call of duty. The medal is awarded by the President of the United States in the name of the U.S. Congress to U.S. military personnel only. There are three versions of the medal, one for the Army, one for the Navy, and one for the Air Force. Personnel of the Marine Corps and Coast Guard received the Navy version. The Medal of Honor was created in 1861, early in the American Civil War, to give recognition to men who distinguished themselves conspicuously by gallantry and intrepidity in combat with an enemy of the United States. As of this writing, there have been 3,469 Medals of Honor awarded to the nation's soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, and Coast Guardsmen since the decoration's creation, with just less than half of them awarded for actions during the four years of the Civil War. Eugene B. Fluckey was born in Washington, D.C. on October 5, 1913. He attended Western High School in Washington and Mercersburg Academy in Mercersburg, Pennsylvania. He was a member of the Boy Scouts and earned the Eagle Scout Award. He prepared for the Naval Academy at Columbian Preparatory School, Washington. He was appointed to the United States Naval Academy in 1931. He was graduated and commissioned ensign in June of 1935. Fluckey's initial assignments were aboard the battleship USS Nevada and in May 1936 was transferred to the destroyer USS McCormick. In June of 38, he reported for instruction at the submarine school, New London, Connecticut. And upon completion, he served on USS S-42. And in December 1938, he was assigned to and completed five patrols on the USS Bonita, a V-1 Barracuda-class sub originally built in 1921 and later converted to a cargo sub. Detached from Bonita in August 1942, he returned to Annapolis for graduate instruction in naval engineering. In November of 1943... He attended the Prospective Commanding Officers School at the sub base New London, then reported to Commander Submarine Force Pacific Fleet. After one War Patrol as the Prospective Commanding Officer of the USS Barb, he assumed command of the submarine on April 27, 1944. Fluckey was to quickly establish himself as one of the greatest submarine skippers credited with the most tonnage sunk by a U.S. skipper during World War II. 17 ships, totaling 96,628 tons, including the Japanese carrier Unyo, which he sank on the 16th of September, 1944, about 200 miles off the coast of Hong Kong, with two well-placed torpedoes. The keel of the USS Barb was laid down on 7th of June, 1941, by the Electric Boat Company of Groton, Connecticut. She was launched on 2nd of April 1942, sponsored by Mrs. Charles A. Dunn, wife of Rear Admiral Dunn, and commissioned on 8th of July 1942, Lieutenant Commander John R. Waterman in command. Barb's war operations spanned the period from 20th October of 42 to August 2nd of 1945, during which time she completed 12 war patrols. During her first patrol, she carried out reconnaissance duties prior to and during the invasion of North Africa. Operating out of Roseneath, Scotland, until July 1943, she conducted her next four patrols against the Axis blockade runners in European waters. Barb's fifth patrol terminated July 1, and she proceeded to the sub-base New London, Connecticut, arriving on the 24th of July. Following a brief overhaul period at New London, Barb departed for Pearl Harbor, where she arrived in September 1943. It was in the Pacific waters that Barb found lucrative hunting, and went on to compile one of the outstanding submarine records of World War II. The last two war patrols conducted by Barb deserve mention. Under Commander Eugene B. Fluckey, her 11th patrol lasted from 19th of December 1944 to the 15th of February 1945 in the Formosa Straits and East China Sea off the east coast of China, from Shanghai to Kamkit. During this patrol, Barb sank four Japanese merchant ships and numerous enemy small craft. On the 22nd to 23rd of January, Barb penetrated Namquan Harbor on the China coast opposite the Matsu Islands and wrought havoc upon a convoy of some 30 enemy ships at anchor. Maneuvering in dangerously shallow waters, Barb launched her torpedoes into the enemy group and then retired at high speed on the surface in a full hour's run through uncharted, heavily mined and rock obstructed waters In recognition of this outstanding patrol, Commander Fluckey was awarded the Medal of Honor and Barb received the Presidential Unit Citation. This was the article published by the Honolulu Star Bulletin in June of 1944 covering the daring harbor raid. Washington, June 4, UP. The daring exploit of an American submarine which sneaked at night into a harbor jammed with Japanese ships surfaced under the muzzles of enemy guns torpedoed vessels all around it, and then got away in a miraculous exhibition of broken field running was revealed today by the Navy. It was a thriller, such as usually is encountered in boys' war books, but it sounds too incredible to really happen. But this episode was real enough to have earned Commander Eugene B. Fluckey of the Submarine Barb the Medal of Honor and his entire crew the Presidential Unit Citation. Commander Fluckey long had suspected that a certain harbor concealed a haven hiding a large number of Japanese tankers, munitions, ships, and warships. On a dark night when visibility was poor, Commander Fluckey found his target. The Navy said Commander Fluckey took his ship on what appeared to be a hopeless mission because the anchored convoy he was after was hidden behind a protecting screen of escorts concentrated on every logical approach. The water was so shallow that the 1,500-ton barb was forced to remain on the surface during her approach and for at least an hour afterward. Faced with one of the best targets he had ever had, Commander Flucky decided to attack despite the odds. The escape involved a flight through uncharted water filled with mines and rocks and packed with fishing junks, but Commander Flucky figured that the Japanese escort vessels would hesitate to make a run through the rocks and that they would find the junks a handicap. The barb moved inside the screen of Japanese escorts and let go with all the torpedoes she could fire in the time available. Then Commander Flucky ordered a rightful rudder and moved toward the rocks. From the bridge, Commander Flucky saw the Japanese ships erupting like a nest of volcanoes. Columns of fire leaped from several vessels. The first target settled in the water, and the others burned. Only the Japanese know how many went down that night. Commander Flucky had no time to count. The Japanese escorts moved up in hot pursuit tossing a hail of shells at the barb. Many were close, but they all missed. The junks confused the enemy and several became targets for Japanese guns instead of the barb. The sub skinned by the rocks and reached open water at dawn. A Japanese plane spotted her and she submerged for the first time since she had sighted the target. Upon completion of her 11th patrol, barb was sent to the U.S. for a yard overhaul and alterations, which included, at Flucky's request, the installation of 5-inch, 130-millimeter rocket launchers at the captain's request. Returning to the Pacific, she commenced her 12th and final patrol on the 8th of June. This patrol was conducted along the coasts of the Sea of Okhotsk. For the first time in U.S. submarine warfare, Barb successfully employed rockets against the towns of Sherry, Hokkaido, Shikuka, Kashiko, and Shiraturu on Karafuto. She also bombarded the town of Kaio, with her regular armament destroying 60% of the town. The next move Commander Flucky and his crew would make would carve a new place in the World War II history books. Here is an excerpt provided by the great website homeofheroes.com, which is filled with similar stories. On July 18, 1945, in Patience Bay, off the coast of Karafuto, Japan, on the Barb's 12th War Patrol, Flucky found himself studying a map that showed a railroad track running along the coastline of Carafuto. The BARB commander was getting bolder. Since the 8th of June, they had harassed the enemy, destroying supplies and coastal fortifications with the first submarine-launched rocket attacks ever used. Flucky had had the BARB refitted with rockets for just this purpose back in the U.S. The rail line itself wouldn't be a problem. A shore patrol could go ashore under cover of darkness to plant the explosives, one of the sub's 55-pound scuttling charges. But this early morning, Flucky and his officers were puzzling over how they could blow not only the rails, but one of the frequent trains that shuttled supplies to equip the Japanese war machine. Such a daring feat could handicap the enemy's war effort for several days, a week, perhaps even longer. It was a crazy idea, just the kind of operation the commander now nicknamed Lucky Flucky had become famous, or infamous for, But no matter how crazy the idea might have sounded, the barbed skipper would not risk the lives of his men. Thus the problem, how to detonate the charge at the moment the train passed without endangering the life of a shore party. Problem? Not on Commander Flucky's ship. His philosophy had always been, we don't have problems, only solutions. As they pondered how to take out the train, the approach of a Japanese freighter with a frigate escort required a call to battle stations. By noon... The frigate is laying on the ocean floor in pieces, and the barb is in danger of becoming the hunted. Solutions. If you don't look for them, you'll never find them. And even then, sometimes they arrive in the most unusual fashion. Cruising slowly beneath the surface to evade the enemy plane now circling overhead, the monotony is broken with an exciting new idea. Instead of having a crewman on shore to trigger explosives to blow both rail and a passing train, Why not let the train blow itself up? Billy Hatfield was excitedly explaining how he had cracked nuts on the railroad tracks as a kid, placing the nuts between two ties so the sagging of the rail under the weight of a train would break them open. Just like cracking walnuts, he explained, to complete the circuit, detonating the 55-pound charge, as we end does. Not only did Hatfield have the plan, but he wanted to be part of the volunteer shore party. The solution found there was no shortage of volunteers. All that was needed was the proper weather, a little cloud cover to darken the moon for the mission ashore. Flucky established his own criteria for the volunteer party. No married men would be included except for Hatfield. The party would include members from each department. The opportunity would be split between regular Navy and Navy Reserve sailors. At least half of the men had to have been Boy Scouts, experienced in how to handle themselves in medical emergencies and in the woods. Finally, Commander Flucky would lead the saboteurs himself. When the names of the eight selected sailors were announced, it was greeted with a mixture of excitement and disappointment. Among the disappointed was Commander Flucky, who surrendered his opportunity at the insistence of his officers that, as commander, he belonged with the barb, coupled with the threat from one that I swear I'll send a message to Pack if you attempt this. Even a Japanese POW being held on the barb wanted to go, promising not to try to escape. In the meantime, there would be no more harassment of Japanese shipping or shore operations by the barb until the train mission had been accomplished. The crew would lay low, prepare their equipment, train, and wait for the weather. By July 22nd, Patience Bay was wearing thin the patience of Commander Flucky and his innovative crew. Everything was ready. In the four days, the saboteurs had anxiously watched the skies for cloud cover. The inventive crew of the Barb had built their microswitch. When the need was posed for a pick and shovel to bury the explosive charge and batteries, the Barb's engineers had cut up steel plates in the lower flats of an engine room, then bent and welded them to create the needed tools. The only things beyond their control was the weather and time. Only five days remained in the Barb's patrol. Anxiously watching the skies, Commander Fluckey noticed plumes of cirrus clouds, then white stratus capping the mountain peaks ashore. A cloud cover was building to hide the three-quarter moon. This would be the night. By midnight, July 23, 1945, the barb had crept within 950 yards of the shoreline. If it was somehow seen from the shore, it would probably be mistaken for a schooner or a Japanese patrol boat. No one would suspect an American submarine so close to shore or in such shallow water. Slowly, the small boats were lowered to the water and the eight saboteurs began paddling toward the enemy beach. Twenty-five minutes later, they pulled the boats ashore and walked on the surface of the Japanese homeland. Having lost their points of navigation, the saboteurs landed near the backyard of a house. Fortunately, the residents had no dogs. Though the sight of human and dog tracks in the sand along the beach alerted the brave sailors to the potential for unexpected danger. Stumbling through noisy, waist-high grasses, crossing a highway, and then stumbling onto a four-foot drainage ditch, the saboteurs made their way to the railroad tracks. Three men were posted as guards. Marcusson assigned to examine a nearby water tower. The Barb's auxiliary man climbed the ladder, then stopped in shock as he realized it was an enemy lookout tower, an occupied lookout tower. Fortunately, The Japanese sentry was peacefully sleeping, and Markison was able to quietly withdraw and warn his raiding party. The news from Markison caused the men digging the placement for the explosive charge to continue their work more slowly and quietly. Suddenly, from less than 80 yards away, an express train was bearing down on them. The appearance was a surprise. It hadn't occurred to the crew during the planning for the mission that there might be a night train. When at last it passed, the brave but nervous sailors extricated themselves from the brush into which they had leapt to continue their task. Twenty minutes later, the holes had been dug and the explosives and batteries hidden beneath fresh soil. During planning for the mission, the saboteurs had been told that, with the safe explosives in place, all would retreat a sure distance while Hatfield made the final connection. If the sailor who had once cracked walnuts on the railroad tracks slipped during this final dangerous procedure, His would be the only life lost. On this night, it was the only order the saboteurs refused to obey, all of them peering anxiously over Hatfield's shoulder to make sure he did it right. The men had come too far to be disappointed by a switch failure. At 1.32 a.m., watching from the deck of the barb, Commander Flucky allowed himself a sigh of relief as he noticed a flashlight signal from the beach announcing the departure of the shore party. He had skillfully and daringly guided the barb within 600 yards of the enemy beach. There was less than six feet of water beneath the barb's keel, but Flucky wanted to be close in case trouble arose and a daring rescue of his saboteurs became necessary. The two boats carrying his saboteurs were only halfway back to the barb when the sub's machine gunner yelled, Captain, another train coming up the tracks. The commander grabbed a megaphone and yelled to the night, Paddle like the devil, knowing full well that they wouldn't reach the barb before the train hit the microswitch. The darkness was shattered by brilliant light and the roar of the explosion. The boilers of the locomotive blew, shattered pieces of the engine blowing 200 feet into the air. Behind it, the cars began to accordion into each other, bursting into flame and adding to the magnificent fireworks display. Five minutes later, the saboteurs lifted to the deck by their exuberant comrades as the barb turned to slip back to safer waters. Moving at only two knots, it would be a while before the barb was into waters deep enough to allow it to submerge. It was a moment to savor, the culmination of teamwork, ingenuity, and daring by the commander and all his crew. Lucky Flucky's voice came over the intercom. All hands below deck not absolutely needed to maneuver the ship, have permission to come topside. He didn't have to repeat the invitation. Hatches sprang open as the proud sailors of the barb gathered on her decks to proudly watch the distant fireworks display. The barb! had sunk a Japanese train. Again, thanks to the website, homeofheroes.com, for the above story. During the night of July 22nd, 23rd, 1945, these were the men who went ashore at Karafuto, Japan, and planted an explosive charge that subsequently wrecked the train. They were Chief Gunner's Mate, Paul G. Sanders, USN, Electrician's Mate, 3rd Class Billy R. Hatfield, USNR, Signalman, 2nd Class, Francis Neal Seaver, USNR. Ships Cook, 1st Class, Lawrence W. Newland, USN. Torpedo Man's Mate, 3rd Class, Edward W. Klingesmith, USNR. Motor Machinist Mate, 2nd Class, James E. Richard, USN. Motor Machinist Mate, 1st Class, John Markison, USN. And Lieutenant William M. Walker, USNR. In August 1945, after the Japanese surrender, Flucky was ordered to Groton, Connecticut, to fill out the USS Dogfish and to be that submarine's commanding officer upon her completion. After the Dogfish's launching, however, he was transferred to the office of the Secretary of the Navy to work directly for James V. Forrestal on plans for the unification of the armed forces. From there, he went to the War Plans Division. In December of 1945, he was selected by Fleet Admiral Chester W. Nimitz, the incoming Chief of Naval Operations, as his personal aide. On June 9, 1947, He returned to submarines, assuming command of the USS Half Beak, the second submarine to be converted to a guppy-type high-speed attack submarine with a snorkel. In June 1949, he was ordered to the staff of the commander of the Submarine Force U.S. Atlantic Fleet to set up the Submarine Naval Reserve Force. A year later, he became the flag secretary to Admiral James Fife Jr. From October 1, 1950 until July 1953, Flucky served as the U.S. Naval Attaché and naval attaché for air to Portugal. The Portuguese government, for his distinguished service, der- decorated him with the Medalha de Merito Militar, noting that this was the first time this decoration was awarded to a naval attaché of any other nation. In September 1953, he took command of the submarine tender USS Sperry. Fluckey commanded Submarine Flotilla 7, now Subgroup 7, from October 14th to 55 to January 14th, 1956, and then he returned to the Naval Academy to become the chairman of the Electrical Engineering Department. His selection for the rank of Rear Admiral was approved by President Dwight D. Eisenhower in July of 1960, and in October, he reported as commander, Amphib Group 4. In November of 61, he became the president of the Naval Board of Inspection and Survey, Washington, D.C. He was Com-Sub-PAC from June 1964 to June 1966, during a time which he became Director of Naval Intelligence. Two years later, he became chief of the Military Assistance Advisory Group, Portugal. Admiral Flucky retired from the Navy in 1972. He died at Anne Arundel Medical Center in Annapolis, Maryland on June 28, 2007. He's buried at the United States Naval Academy Cemetery. Although born in Washington, D.C., as the title of our story credits, he would likely name Annapolis, Maryland as his home. As an aside, but an important one, Flucky was awarded Eagle Scout in 1948. He is one of only nine known Eagle Scouts at this writing who also received the Medal of Honor. The others are Aquila J. Dyes, Robert Edward Femoyer, Mitchell Page, Thomas R. Norris, Arlo L. Olson, Ben L. Solomon, Leo K. Thorsness, and J. Zemer Jr. Flucky's Medal of Honor citation reads thus. For conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty as commanding officer of the USS Barb during her 11th war patrol along the east coast of China from the 19th of December 1944 to 15th of February 1945, after sinking a large enemy ammunition ship and damaging additional tonnage during a running two-hour night battle on January 8th, Commander Fluckey, in an exceptional feat of brilliant deduction and bold tracking, on the 25th of January, located a concentration of more than 30 enemy ships in the lower reaches of Chiang Harbor. Fully aware that a safe retirement would necessitate an hour's run at full speed through the uncharted, mined, and rock-obstructed waters, he bravely ordered battle station torpedoes. In a daring penetration of the head of the enemy screen and riding in five fathoms of water, he launched the Barb's last forward torpedoes at 3,000 yards range. Quickly bringing the ship's stern tubes to bear, he turned loose four more torpedoes into the enemy, obtaining eight direct hits on six of the main targets to explode a large ammunition ship and cause inestimable damage by the resultant flying shells and other pyrotechnics. Clearing the treacherous area at high speed, he brought the barb through to safety and four days later sank a large Japanese freighter to complete a record of heroic combat achievement, reflecting the highest credit upon Commander Flucky his gallant officers and men, and the U.S. Naval Service. The story of the USS Barb, written by Rear Admiral Fluckey and appropriately titled Thunder Below, is available at Amazon and carries a five-star rating. We hope you enjoyed this episode of 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. Please take a moment to give us a review and visit our website at www.1001storiespodcast.com. Or email ideas to us at 1001 Stories Podcast at gmail.com. 1001 Heroes is listened to in over 100 countries and is carried by all major podcast sites, including iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbay. Until next time, this is your host, John Hagedorn, and this is our story.